we have one word for the underground spiritual game. Everybody, you say Ayakata. Everybody, Ayakata. And now you see, you are talking like white man, man. White man, when you talk, you talk small. Let's speak, 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 speak. No, man. African, we talk with black man, talk with all our mouths, man. Everybody, Ayakata. Ayakata. Okay, let's go now. Uhuru, welcome to Black Power Talks. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili. Freedom is on our minds 24-7. My name is Soliana Bakel. I'm joined by Matsumala Odom, my co-host on Black Power Talks. Today, we have two very special guests with us to talk about Blinken's bleak trip to Africa. That's U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who just made a three-country tour of Africa, desperately trying to shore up the ability of the U.S. to continue stealing the human and natural resources of our homeland. Louise Kinshasa is Secretary General of the African Socialist International. He was born in Congo and is currently in exile in London. He speaks English, French, and several African languages, including Lingala, the language of the African region of his birth. We're also joined by Tafara McGarry. Tafara McGarry is the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party in Occupied Zion, also known by its colonial name, South Africa. He is also the director of organization on the African continent for the African Socialist International. Uhuru and welcome, comrades. comrades. I'm so honored to be in this uh, program of Black Power FM. So I want just to let you know I'm uh, talking to you from London and uh, you can hear the noise in the background because I'm uh, at the demonstration to commemorate the uh, anniversary basically of the Americana massacre, uh, which happened uh, some 10 years ago. That's why you can hear the chants of people talking. Uh, so I just want to be selfish about that. Oh, comrades. I want to salute you, comrade Masamela and comrade uh, Soliana. And I'm glad to be here on the program. Oh, thank you. So from August 7th through August 12th, 2022, United States Secretary, Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken traveled to South Africa, the Congo and Rwanda to fight for continued access to the continent's wealth in the face of growing competition from China and Russia. He also sought to win support for the U.S. condemnation of Russia and arming of Ukraine, you know, in the face of the refusal of African countries to budge from a neutral position in the U.N., the United Nations. His visit followed uh, to Africa by leaders of, you know, Russia and France. So, S.G. Louisi, can you give us some background to Blinken's trip to Africa? Yes, well, uh, this is an important question because the way the the, the, uh, the bourgeois media present uh, the uh, trip of Blinken in Africa. It was like there was nothing before that. And everybody has to be clear that everything you see in the last six years in Africa, all the poverty, all the wars, all the problems, everything you see is bad in Africa, that's colonialism. This is the starting point to understand everything in the world. And Africa is doing poorly, is doing badly because almost everyone who is in power in Africa came to power because of the participation of the United States uh, to impose status quo. 
They didn't want Lumumba to stay in power. They murdered him. They didn't want Kwame Nkrumah to be in power. They overthrew him. And uh, they uh, organized war against uh, Angola, against Mozambique. They were involved in all kinds of coups. And then they imposed a program of looting Africa, known as IMF, the World Bank programs. So there are so many things we can say about the United States. They supported the, what was known at the time as the South Africa apartheid regime is lasted in power because of the United States involvement. They unleashed biological, biochemical warfare programs for population control against Africa. You name it, yeah, AIDS, COVID, whatever it is, the United States was behind that. And all these are not talked about. The coup, that overthrew, not, the coup, the invasion of Libya that overthrew and murdered Gaddafi. And, and the consequence of that, you have uh, a spread of weapons, all kinds of weapons throughout Africa. Uh, you have all these wars in West Africa, kind of suggestive warfare to create chaos so that the United States can push its own agenda in Africa. The United States is a part of, uh, of that. So they didn't tell you all those things. And of course, another aspect of the, uh, of the background is, of course, the uh, competition for control of African resources is happening now. The United States is competing with its own traditional allies, like Germany, like Japan, like France, and so on. But sometimes also the United States has recognized Russia and China as the strategic enemy of the United States' interests. And uh, it's no surprise that Sergei Lavrov, the foreign affairs of uh, Russia, was in Africa just a week before Blinken. Uh, Emmanuel Macron was in Africa two weeks before that, before uh, Lavrov and before Blinken. So these are some of the things we can say, uh, you know, as a background to the trip of Blinken in Africa. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks for that. Now, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's first stop on this trip was in South Africa, where he spoke at the University of Pretoria's Future Africa campus and met with Naledi Pandur, the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. The bourgeois press talked of a diplomatic effort by the U.S. administration after several years during which uh, Washington appeared quote, uninterested in sub-Saharan Africa, unquote. How truthful is this position? You know, this is propaganda. That's a lie. You know, they create all kind of words. They Africa is no part of the uh, world economy. They need help to catch up and uh, things like that. All of a sudden, uh, they say now there is interest for Africa. To begin with, without Africa, there is no United States. Because the United States economy and the world economy itself was born as an attack on Africa. That's what Chairman O'Malley's theory of African nationalism teaches us. And everybody should be familiar with that. If not, you should watch the videos of Chairman as soon as this program is over. Because that's the starting point. So to say that they had no interest in Africa is a lie. The world economy cannot exist without a permanent attack on Africa. It's not that they discovered Africa, no. What they discover is that not only you have China and Russia who are pursuing their own interests in Africa, but there is also the re-emergence of African revolution under the leadership of African internationalists 
led by Chairman O'Malley. That is a new phenomenon. Uh, this is also part of the background of that trip because the attack on the movement on the 29th of July is a part of the of the background. So to say uh, they just uh, discovered Africa, they just have an interest in Africa when the strategic minerals used to propel the current digital economy, uh, most of those materials are in Africa. You need the cobalt for the green economy is in Africa. You need the cotton for the phones and mobiles and laptops is in Africa and so on. So it's just a lie, blatant lie. Africa are key, key components of this colonial capitalist global economy from day one. That's why they recognize that. That's why they're in Africa uh, to defend, to protect the interests, not just against Russia and China, but against Africans. And I want everyone to understand that. Not just against Russia or China, but against Africans. Many Africans might not be aware of it, but that's why Blinken is in Africa. Right, the world, Esther Louise, because one thing that doesn't really make sense, right? You have a lot of people who push this idea of dependency theory. And they talk about the fact that Africa has been made dependent on the colonial world, the U.S. and things like that. But it, but but what you're talking about is actually the reverse. It's the West who is dependent on Africa. And that's what this trip is about, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. People just have to know the initial attack happened in 1415. The dependency started there. Is Europe that didn't exist, there was nothing known. There was no part in the world known as Europe until what was known as Christendom attacked Africa in 1415. So it was known was the master, so Karl Marx referred to as primitive accumulation of capital. And it took 77 years of a primitive accumulation of capital. Basically, a colonial mode of production was created, was installed on the shores of Africa. It took 77 years before they reached what they call today the Americas. 77 years of stealing gold, copper, ivory, and all kind of uh, precious stones, as they call them, and other things like that. You know, people have to be clear on that. We have to be really clear, help Africans to understand that what gives life to the world economy is the colonization of Africa and black people around the planet. What gives life to large-scale economy, to large-scale factory, to large-scale trade is the colonization of Africa. And that's really, people have to understand that. That's the cornerstone. That's the cornerstone of it. And that's why anybody who comes for anything that does not recognize that is uh, outside of the picture. That's not, that's not get it. So that's why we have to struggle to make sure people understand the centrality of the colonial mode of production born on the shores, on the continent of Africa, as a part of the attack on African people everywhere. That's, we have to be absolutely clear on that. Uhuru, thank you so much for that clarification, Estudoezi. So, Chairman Tafari, um, South Africa has refused to condemn Moscow for the war in Ukraine, you know, arguing that there were faults on both sides and that NATO expansion was one cause of the war. So can you comment on this? Uhuru, thank you, comrade, for that question. Yeah, South Africa has been able to do that. And one thing that we also need to recognize is 
South Africa is part of this uh, association or community uh, that's known as BRICS, uh, which uh, is an abbreviation for B for Brazil, R for Russia, uh, I for in, uh, uh, India, uh, C for, for China, and then S for South Africa. It used to be BRIC, but then South Africa joined in. So they, they, they hold conferences, they have, you know, like um, particular trade relations and so forth. So South Africa as a state has some type of relationship uh, with, uh, with, with, with Russia, you know, which uh, in, involves also some econ- type of economic ties. But then as Nalidi Pando has recently mentioned, the economic ties uh, or the trade ties, uh, the value uh, of, 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 of the trade ties between Russia and South Africa uh, cannot be compared with the ties that America, the U.S. Uh, has with, with South Africa. She mentioned something like Russia has like 4 billion interest. The interest of Russia in South Africa are like 4 billion U.S. dollars. And then for uh, the interest of the U.S. Uh, amount to something like 24, uh, US, um, 24 billion U.S. dollars. So you can see that uh, the U.S. has more interest in, in terms of, of, of South Africa. But mm-hmm. at the same time, South Africa cannot condemn. And re- remember, when you say South Africa, you're talking about a neocolonial state. South Africa is not a, an entity whereby uh, black people are represented, their interests are represented. This is a neocolonial state, whereby like 72% of agricultural land is still in the hands of colonizers, the white people, who are actually condemning the ANC right now for not condemning uh, Russia in Ukraine. You know, so the ANC is in a position, finds itself in a position whereby, uh, you know, condemning Russia would actually uh, mean affecting this, uh, you know, uh, relationship it has with Russia in terms of BRICS, but also being on the wrong side of history. Because everyone can see this decline of U.S. imperialism, right? And then, uh, it's because it's not only South Africa, most of uh, of the countries in Africa either abstained or, uh, you know, maybe one or two clearly saying that they're with Russia. You know, most of them did abstain. They said they're not voting against Russia. So not just uh, South Africa, but it's, it says something about the power, the, the, the influence that the U.S. imperialism has now. And then we recognize this as the crisis or, and the decline of U.S. imperialism. Like uh, one thing that, that, that uh, she mentioned, Naledi Pandu, is to say that they cannot dictate for South Africa, you know, in terms of what democracy means and so forth. They can say that not only that, but even the U.S. itself knows the type of tone it has to use when they address, you know, they are, um, you know, like some of these countries where they, they that, that they have declared, uh, you know, their neo-colonies such as South Africa. They have to, the tone has changed. I was listening to the speech by Anthony Blinken, where, 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 where you, you were saying that, uh, you know, like South Africa and U.S. will talk as equal partners. Now, you have to recognize South Africa as some type of equal partner because they, they know that the arrogance that imperialism had before, you know, cannot have, cannot move in terms of that arrogance. You know, so it's, it's a recognition of the shift in the, in, the, in the balance of power, colonized people rising up and, uh, and, and, and recognizing the fact that U.S. imperialism is no longer as powerful as, as it used to be before. You know, over. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. I really appreciate the way that both of you all have underscored the uh, crisis of imperialism 
a U.S. power is not what it was before. And that's what really highlights this moment, Blinken's bleak trip to Africa and um, uh, so many other contradictions that have been exposed through this. Now, S.G. Louise, we heard, we just heard from Safari. You were born and raised in Congo. The U.S. Secretary of State was just in the capital city of the Congo, Kinshasa, where he met uh, with Congo President Felix Shisekedi. The apparent focus of his talks uh, uh, with Shisekedi was to enforce a colonial peace in the mineral-rich areas where militant groups are vying over resources there. What can you tell us about that? Yes, well, this is uh, an important uh, question because uh, it speaks directly uh, to the heart of the crisis of neocolonialism in the, uh, in the whole region of the Great Lake region, which means Uganda, Congo, Rwanda, Burundi, Sudan, and uh, to some extent, you can, you can put Kenya uh, into that uh, group too. Uh, one thing is clear, is that uh, the U.S. has decided to be in war against Africa, particularly against uh, Africans in that region. I just want to remind people, the current president of Rwanda came to power in 1994 as a result of genocide war that killed at least 800,000 Africans. Just like that, it was over, it was over the news because the bourgeoisie wanted the whole world to see it because they needed that to justify putting a death squad government in power in the region because the plan was not just to kill in Rwanda, but take control of Rwanda and then to go to Congo and to kill in Congo and take control of Congo and also to impose a war without end. So since 1994, there has not been a colonial peace in the Congo. I want people really to understand me here. Since 1994, there has not been a colonial peace in the Congo. What we have seen is a colonial war in the Congo. So that's over 20 years now. 10 million people killed. We don't even know the, the amount of women that have been raped. They even refer to Congo as the capital of rape because organized rape and documented by the United, by the United States nation. There is a document known as the mapping reports. The mapping reports. I will ask everyone who has time to Google that document and you will see uh, some 500 cases selected by the United Nations as an example of should those cases be taken to appropriate courts that will be open for crime against humanity, for war crimes, and for crimes of genocide. That is the UN document. There is no revolutionary document, but a, a UN document. And uh, part of imposing uh, the uh, colonial war in the Congo, they have pretended that they can invite the United Nations keeping forces in uh, efforts, or at least to have a policy to inst install peace in the Congo. But what we have seen since 1999, the presence of the so-called United Nations uh, forces are not there to keep peace or to maintain colonial peace. They're not there for that. They are there to maintain the status quo, which means that the war continues the killing continues, and most of the time those killings took, uh, take place by proximity of the United Nations keeping mission forces. 
So they are there with a budget of $1.3 billion a year with a forces of uh, something like uh, 19 to 20,000 soldiers, but they do not protect the African workers. They do not protect the peasants. They do nothing for the people. It's just like tourism with uh, weapons, basically, uh, in the Congo. And uh, of course, uh, the key is that the resources needed by electronic uh, companies, coltan, tin, cobalt, uh, and things like that, are located in the Congo. So that's why the war is necessary to loot it, to steal it without paying. So the African workers don't get nothing. They get absolutely nothing. Or they get killed, or they are forced to, to live in the concentration camps called camps for displaced people. You have five to seven million displaced African workers in the Congo. And uh, Anthony Blinken did not go there for them. He didn't go there even as I said in the beginning, just to have colonial peace. Not even for that. He went there to maintain colonial war. He has no said anything uh, that will make me believe that he wants that war to stop. No. What he said, he wants the president of Uganda to stop supporting his proxy groups in the Congo. And he wants the president of Congo to stop supporting his proxy groups against Rwanda, which is a lie. Complete lie. Felix Segedi does not have proxy groups to make war against Rwanda. That's a complete lie. On the contrary, Kagame and Museveni have the upper hand over Felix Segedi. The last point I, I want to say is that uh, Rwandan armies, Ugandan armies, the United Nations armies, and all the groups, uh, armed groups in the Congo, they all represent an extension of the United States colonial power. Everybody involved in the war to kill the workers, to kill the peasants, to maintain divided African people there is a part of the United States uh, colonial power in the, in the Congo. And we have to be clear on that. So the United States is a part of the war, part of the killing, part of the 10 million people killed in the Congo, as well as the 800,000 people killed in Rwanda. I want people to be absolutely clear on that. And uh, Clinton didn't go there. Anthony uh, Blinken didn't go there to stop that war, to stop the looting of, of Congo and the, of the old region. So, Tisegedi, U.S. puppets. Rwanda, Kagame, U.S. puppet. Uh, Museveni, U.S. puppet. But the United States has established an hierarchy. Uganda and Kagame are like the, the, uh, the captain, like the, uh, the neo-colonial bosses there who supervise Tisegedi, uh, and other elements of African bourgeoisie in Congo. I hope uh, I've been clear on that. Overall, thank you, Esther Louise. You've been absolutely clear and some more. So thank you for that clarification. You are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we're discussing U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's recent trip to Africa with our guests, Louise Kinshasa and Tafari Mugheri. Um, so, Tafari, um, this is a follow-up from the earlier um, topic. Can you share with our listeners the legacy of the U.S. and European colonial mode of production in Africa and what has been the impact of the theft of human and natural resources from the continent and from occupied Azania in particular? Thank you. I think uh, I appreciate that question, Comrade, because when we're talking, everything that we're talking about now is happening within a world economy. That's what African internationalism is there to expose. That's what Chairman Omalia Shitela has been 
you know, like emphasizing to say it's a global economy. It's not just a thing with Russia or with the U.S. Like most people will say, or, or Pan-Africanists or, you know, those type of people will say, oh, you know, this is not our war. Uh, don't be involved. It's between the white people, the Russians and the U- Ukrainians. But then it's a world economy. And it's a world economy that was born through the attack on Africa. It was feudal Europe that attacked Africa, independent, free Africa, and turned Africa into uh, this place where they can extract raw materials and then cheap labor and so forth. This is how the whole thing was born. Same with South Africa. South Africa was born through the attack on Africa as a whole. The same way you have Congo today, the same way you have Rwanda, talking about Rwanda right now, this is how all these things were born. And, uh, and, and how it happened with South Africa is uh, you had a situation where the Dutch, the settler Dutch came, came, came first year to settle as settlers. And then uh, the British, uh, through their project of expansion, expanding the British Empire, they came through here and then had a conflict with the Dutch settlers here. The Dutch settlers were already identified with the land in South Africa. And then this is where you have the first Anglo-Boer War, the second Anglo-Boer War, resulting to this consolidation of South Africa as the Union of South Africa. And the U.S. has been involved in that as well, investing in terms of like capital in, uh, in, in companies in South Africa, actually maintaining and sustaining them, the apartheid regime, uh, as, as Jilwezi has been saying. It maintained and sustained the apartheid regime, even in the midst of this whole, uh, you know, like um, campaign for independent African states. America had relations with South Africa, like um, settler colonial or apartheid South Africa. The U.S. had relations with that, even in, in a time whereby Russia had already condemned uh, apartheid South Africa. Russia had condemned apartheid South Africa, but U.S. maintained those relationships. Even when you talk about uh, neocolonialism in South Africa, uh, beginning in the late 1980s and, uh, you know, like being formally consolidated in 1994 with the election, of Nelson Mandela. Mandela was well, was selected, actually negotiated with the U.S. The United States made sure, they made sure that uh, Nelson Mandela becomes the president of South Africa. I, I have had the chairman made reference to, make reference to one statement, I don't know if it was from the PAC, saying that even God would not have won against the ANC in 1994 because the whole imperialist world made sure that they support the African National Congress. So even when we speak about the South African economy, you're not talking about an African economy. It's a colonial economy. So what, what, what the ANC did is they inherited the, the colonial state and maintained the, the colonial state and gave it a new face. And this is what we refer to as neocolonialism. Neocolonialism is what we are seeing throughout Africa. Even as we speak about some countries refusing to condemn Russia, we should not take the impression that we're talking about an independent Africa whereby African people are beginning to stand up for themselves and so forth. Yes, African people are standing up for themselves, but part of us standing up and rising up as African people will have to come in a form of a compromise to these neocolonial states that we have in Africa. The rise of African people will compromise Congo, it will compromise Rwanda, compromise uh, South Africa, and compromise all the 55 neocolonial states across Africa. I made uh, like reference to what Naledu Pando said recently in terms of the U.S. trade ties that it has with, uh, with South Africa. 
which amount to something like 24 US, uh, a billion US dollars. So they have a lot of stake in terms of uh, in, in South Africa. You have all these multinational companies that are here, like the Anglo-American company, which, which are extracts the raw material in the form of gold in South Africa here. And the masses of African people today, we are still in the shanty towns. There is like 72% of youth unemployment in South Africa. I know that recently the U.S. was boasting about, you know, going like three point something percent of unemployment. And there is 72% of youth unemployment in South Africa. And on top of that is like around 40 something percent of unemployment period in, in South Africa today. So you see that Africa is rich in like, like South Africa is rich in mineral resources, also mineral resources. I think it's only two uh, mineral resources that South Africa does not have. But at the same time, African people do not benefit from that at all. We don't have access to our own resources as, as African people. The African petty bourgeoisie continue to have these, you know, uh, uh, relationships uh, with, with imperialism. The U.S. being one of the, you know, like uh, of, of the leading force in terms of, of those type of parasitic relationships. But African people today do not have access to that. In the shanty towns, actually, there's a uh, recently Barack, not Barack Obama, who's the current president? um biden joe biden uh, mm-hmm. yeah he, he he was he was saying that he made a statement that because today there is there is a currently there is a a crisis around energy in south africa like these lights the lights can just go off anytime right now and then we will be in um uh in the dark so there's an issue around power uh, electricity in south africa and then what uh, joe biden was saying is uh, the America will work with South Africa in order to explore and invest in more non-conventional, uh, you know, methods of power generation. So the the solution is still tied with imperialism, and then they they, they will make statements such as no coal is uh, creating issues around climate change and so forth. But then U.S. so-called industrial the industrial revolution in Britain in the U.S. was built on these you know, like uh, natural resources like coal and so forth. And then now they're proposing things that, you know, will put them in the forefront and they will be the ones benefiting uh, from them. Therefore, Africa cannot be able to develop right now today. So we have to be able to have that, that, that united Africa whereby we can begin to have solutions that are centered around what Africa has. Africa has great capacity, but we don't have that capacity if we are dispersed like we are right now with all these 55 entities that separate African people from our resources and from each other in order for us to be able to solve problems in our own interest. Oh, oh, yeah, this is excellent. Because, you know, um, a lot of our listeners and our viewers are really tuning in and honing in on the neo-colonial question. Uh, Somebody asked this question. I think it's an important question, which uh, um, uh, underscores the crisis of neo-colonialism you're talking about as well. Uh, is uh, where is the AU's army? Uhuru, can I can I just say something real quick um, before you ask Chilwezi? Uh, sorry, um, AU is Africa Union. Right. Yes. Um, actually, the AU is from the OAU, the Organization of African Unity, which was created in 1963 uh, after Kwame Nkrumah had called for a conference of African independent states, you know, and not only independent states, but with other anti-colonial forces like people such as Franz Fanon, Robert Subukwe, they were there, they attended that conference. I think it was in 1958, if I'm not mistaken. Kwame Nkrumah was calling for the 
unification of Africa, the total unification of Africa as a solution, you know, to like as a negation of colonialism altogether for Africa to be in, truly independent. And then you had this other crew of neocolonial forces that were against that. And it led to the 1963, uh, the conference of the Organization of African Unity, which was a betrayal to the mission of Kwame Nkrumah to unify Africa as one entity. And part of what Kwame Nkrumah raised uh, is has to do with Africa having this, uh, you know, like one army. You know, he he raised that Africa having 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 having, having one, one army. I'm, I'm sure as can say uh, more about that. But I also wanted to to say that before this visit by uh, Blinken and also Macron, this Zelensky, who is the, the president of Ukraine, he actually held an online type of conference and invited African heads of states to participate there. And a lot of people rejected that. They did not even participate in it. And he made statements such as, because if you look at West Africa, there is a dependence on some grains from, from Russia. And these grains cannot, uh, you know, are not readily accessible as they used to be before this whole Russia-Ukraine crisis. Uh, Ukraine was suggesting, or Zelensky was suggesting that, no, the reason you cannot have access to this which is leading to the increase in the prices of bread and so forth is because of what Russia is doing. So if you want to prevent this, uh, you have to unite with, with Ukraine because Russia is going to uh, you know, create a situation where, whereby all people, including especially Africans, are to be in jeopardy and even leading to World War Three, which is the, the, the part that I, want, I wanted to refer into. Chairman Nomali Yeshitela recently talked about the U.S. having three strategic enemies. And he said in terms of that, one uh, being China, uh, the other being uh, Russia, and also Africa. And when you say Africa, we're talking about African people all over the world. Thus, the attack on the Uhuru movement, on our party and our chairman, uh, by the FBI in, in the U.S. So when, when, we, when we see them, uh, like uh, Ukraine, uh, Zelensky, um, Macron, and uh, Antony uh, Blinken coming into Africa, is because they know that they have been able to identify Africa as as one as a, as a key factor in terms of this whole global uh, you know contest for for power and 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 for influence. So I just wanted us to to be able to to, to recognize that Africa is one of the strategic enemies of the U.S. Despite what is going on with all these visits and the fact that there's always an assumption of African people. Only being, being able, just because we are, we are, we are still colonized today and living under neocolonialism, that we cannot move according to you know our own strategy of how we navigate throughout this world. Like China is, China is safeguarding its own interests. It moves based on its own strategy. It responds based on its strategy. So the assumption is that Africa will only move based on who influences Africa, who has more power and influence over Africa instead of what Africa has determined for, for itself. Uhuru. Uhuru. So we've recently seen the appointment of Africans at, you know, U.S. strategic institutions, such as the head of U.S. Africa Command, also known as AFRICOM, um, the U.S. representation at the United Nations, and as Secretary of Defense. So what does this say about the United States' view of Africa as a strategic enemy? One thing uh, I can say is absolutely uh, important is that people need to understand Russia, for example, has a lot of resources, but the population uh, is smaller compared to China. 
China has a huge population, but less resources in comparison to Russia. Africa has more resources than Russia and China, more people than Russia, possibly more people than China, and that population will be 2 billion, uh, over 2 billion uh, in the 30, 40 years. And uh, Africa is statistically located because it's the cornerstone upon which the whole colonial system was built. So the significance of Africa is massive. But what is missing is the understanding by African people that we have to fight for one Africa. Just like it is one China. The precondition to end this system, the precondition to achieve power as a people is the fight to complete the Black Revolution, which means to unify the African nation, to unify the Black nation. That's what the struggle is really all about. And Chairman Omadi leads the struggle to make that happen. The struggle for one Africa, one nation, one economy, one government is the one who's continuing the work Nkrumah uh, tried to do or before Nkrumah Garvey tried to do. And that's the legitimate struggle we're calling everyone to join in. That's where we are. That's why chairman and rural movement are being attacked because the struggle that will free the world is the struggle for one Africa. I want everyone to be clear on that. Wherever you are, Whatever you involve in the local struggle, you have to make the connection with the strategic struggle led by Chairman of Malaysia and the African Socialist Party, the struggle for one Africa. Every struggle we involved in, in fact, all the struggles in the world have to be connected to the struggle for one Africa, one nation. Because we are the one who brings complete coherence, complete explanation to uh, the struggles of all the people around the world. So I just want to say those uh, words. I can see they're calling me over there because the demonstration is coming to a close look. I'm not sure, but uh, that's where we are. Chairman Tafari, you want to say something? Thank you. Yeah, I do want to say something, comrade. Responding to the question that you just raised now with this uh, U.S. Marine General, Foster Marine General, who has just been appointed. And I know that a lot of people will not know about this. That's a fact. I, it's there in the news, but it's not something that's, you know, made so popular like when Obama became the president of the United States because when Obama became the president of the U.S., it was celebrated by black people all over the world. Here in South Africa, people were losing their, their minds over the, this black person becoming the president of the U.S. So it was open then. Well, even with this a visit by this Anthony Blinken, um, a lot of people will know about it, but then there are other type of things that are happening, you know, under carpet that people will not know openly. Some of the deals that are being signed, how many troops are in Africa right, like right now today with the AFRICOM, the Africa Command, how many uh, military bases are there in West Africa, in Central Africa and so forth. A lot of people don't know. They don't, a lot of people don't even know what the role of AFRICOM is. And then you have AFRICOM, you also have the the Pacific Command. Right now, we we speaking of in terms of of this woman. What's her name? Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi. She went to Taiwan, uh, you know, and then they, and uh, like uh, like uh, in a way, a, a provocative way against China over there. And then this is also a way to advance this Pacific Command. So the U.S. has uh, the U.S. Army uh, has been able to expand itself as an imperialist army all over the world to make sure that it can safeguard its own interest, and they do this openly. It's not even a hidden, anything hidden to say that 
the, the reason they have Africa Command is for the sake of safeguarding the interest of U.S. Uh, you know, global foreign policy and also global in like a foreign interest. That's what it is. So right now, the fact that there is a black man who is in charge for the first time after I don't know over two hundred and something years, the first time you have a four-star Marine General uh, who is a who is a black man, it speaks to the crisis of the social system, a social system which is born on top and rest on top of the colonized people of the world. It has to have a face that reflects the very same people that are being op- oppressed. There's the very same, same people that are being compromised, undermined, and oppressed. So they need this person to be the face of, of, of the U.S., uh, you know, Marine General, especially if, if it has to do with Africa. Because a lot of, I saw some people even in the U.S. celebrating this black man. Oh, the first black man, he has to, this is, uh, you know, black excellence. He has to be celebrated and so forth. So it, it's also part of an ideological, uh, you know, warfare. It's ideological warfare where African people, you know, are worn closer to imperialism to say this is progress. And maybe perhaps there is some change that is happening within uh, the social system. But then it's not change. It's still the same thing. You know, it's still imperialism. It's still going to kill African people at the end of the day. You know, or, Oh, oh, oh. Now, uh, Ashley Louise, we know that you have to uh, take off. You are a featured speaker at this um, demonstration around the 10-year anniversary of the Americana massacre in Occupied Azana in South Africa, uh, where uh, Director Tafari is right now. So uh, we know that you have to take off unless you had any final words to say. First of all, I just want to thank you, uh, Vice President for Infidam, Kamal Mesmela, Assistant Editor of the Balling Sphere, Comrades uh, Soliana, and all other comrades who are helping to make this program. We need our own media so we can win the war by day. So, and I, uh, in the closing, basically, anyone who's listening, the struggle for Africa unity, the struggle uh, for the African working class to achieve power, the struggle uh, basically, to end the foundation of capitalism is up on us. So let's join Chairman of Malaysia and the African Socialist Party, and let's complete the Black Revolution. Or you are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU Black Power ninety six point three FM in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Today, we are discussing U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's recent trip to Africa with our guests Louise Kinshasa and Tafari Mugheri. Comrade Tafari, can you speak to? The role of neocolonialism in South Africa, particularly where the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pandur, uh, uh, with whom the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, met, is a member of the ruling African National Congress. Pandur is quoted as saying that she and Mr. Blinken had had very frank discussions where at times we don't agree. But, it's not, but it has not broken this friendship. In fact, it's made it stronger. Given the inhumane conditions endured by African masses in Azania, one has to ask whose interest Pandora is representing. Can you speak to that? Yes, Uhuru. Uh, the interest that Pan, uh, Naledi Pando is representing is that of the African petty bourgeoisie. You know, the, the African petty bourgeoisie have a selfish class interest. They have a selfish class interest. But then since they are a product of um, of colonialism, uh, of, the, of imperialism, they can only realize their class aspirations by getting tied with 
you know, the colonial masters with imperialism. They cannot realize their uh, their, their, their class interest, uh, like through, you know, the, the African revolution and so forth. They feel that they will be compromised. So they have to create a situation whereby they can be able to be integrated more and more and more into the parasitic capitalist global economic system. That, that's how it works. And when you speak about uh, the role of neocolonialism, uh, right now we, we're talking about Marikana, uh, this uh, commemoration of, of Marikana. I, I think it's the 10th anniversary right now on, on today, because uh, it happened in 2012, whereby 35 mine workers were gunned down by the South African police. And how did this happen? It was through the current president, Ramaphosa, uh, who had shares, I don't know if he still has shares in this company, this mining company known as London Mines, Lonmin, London Mines. He had a stake in that company and he was the deputy president at that time. And he, you know, he is the one who was communicating with the police to say that, make sure you stop those hooligans by all means, because uh, the, the workers at that time were demanding a 12,000 rands, not even US dollars, 12,000 rands. I don't know how much that is in US dollars. I'm sure it's it's um it's less than a thousand US dollars per month. That's what they were demanding to uh, to get as a wage. But then this neo-colonialist, you know, like black man who is there, he's able to get shares in London mines because they must have a black face there. You know, like b- because during uh direct colonialism, the people would rise up and say they don't want the white man. The, the white man must go. It was clear. But then the white man was not just here in terms of his presence so that he can just be above black people and so forth. The primary, the primary thing has always been the question of resources. The primary thing has always been a question of, uh, of economy. It has always been an economic question. Colonialism is a, it's, it's a matter of, 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 of resources, the plundering of, of African resources. So they serve to, you know, to, uh, to, to facilitate the continued plundering of of, of African resources, and they have to maintain these type or uh, these types of um of um or, or, of relationships, despite the fact that the ANC has taken a position not to condemn Russia. It has more economic and trade relationships with the U.S. than it has with Russia, far more. So it that that relationship is there, and it will continue to be maintained at the expense of African people until we take back our own economy, we take back our economy. So there is this uh, Johannesburg Stock Exchange. I think we, uh, in the US, uh, uh, there is uh, Wall Street, right? Where they talk about people's shares in companies and whatever. In the stock exchange in South Africa, black people only own about 2%. The rest is whites who own that. You know, so it, it's white people who own the whole, the South African economy is in the hands of white people you know, like white billionaires and so forth. So white pe- Africans don't have a stake. Even the African petty bourgeoisie themselves don't really have that uh, a significant amount of stake. So that's what they're fighting for. Sometimes uh, you find that uh, they, they, they will always measure where, where the power is uh, or, or where they can get more favors. Like if you look at China, for example, the previous president before Ramaphosa, he was more leaned to with, with the East, with China, India, and Russia. And then you have this current president who is more leaned towards the West with Britain, the US, the US, and so forth. So Africa has no independence today. They speak of African independence, but the independence is not there. What we have instead is neocolonialism. And it's not only in South Africa, but, uh, but um, it's, it's, it's everywhere. 
I think we should also mention that it's not new, that this is what our imperialism has been doing for the longest time. Uh, recently, Chairman made reference to 1972, whereby uh, I think it's Nixon and uh, I don't know who else, uh, they, they made a visit to China, even though they had declared China to be an enemy, even though they had fought China uh, in the 1950s. They did that, but then later on would and declared China an, an enemy uh, alongside uh, the, the USSR because they wanted to isolate the USSR. Uh, they made relations with China. And right now, the struggle also is still to isolate uh, uh, Russia. They have to make relations with uh, Africa, Colombia, and, and uh, Philippines, some of these places that uh, uh, Anthony Blinken made a visit to. So it's, 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 a, it's a strategy for the whole global uh, economy. Recently, even Biden went to, um, to the Middle East. So it's nothing isolated, comrades. It's, it's, it's something that is happening throughout the world. It's connected. Colonialism uh, is the mode of production for a, for, for a global economic system that is linked all over the world. It, there are no isolated economies and so forth. It's one global economy. Uhuru. Uhuru, thank you for clarifying that. That's absolutely true. This isn't something new. And I really appreciate you, you know, really emphasizing that. So, you know, returning to Blinken's disingenuous statement, you know, that, quote, Africans have been treated as instruments of other nations' progress rather than the authors of their own. Um, I know that the um, African International, African Socialist International, you know, has authored its own roadmap for the progress of Africa. And is that something that you can lay out for us or talk about a little bit? Yes, thank you, comrade. First of all, he's telling the truth, though. That's one thing we should acknowledge that. And Anton Blinken, when he says Africa has not been it's the, the author of its own, you know, like it has been under, you know, the influence of one power or like or the other. That is that is a fact. It's true. But only because that Africa is colonized even today. Right now, we are building a negation of this neocolonial reality that African people live under. The African People's Socialist Party, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, founded in 1972 by Chairman Omali Ishitela, is all over the world and it expresses itself as the African Socialist International. We are the African Socialist International wherever we are. You are over there in the US, I, I am in South Africa, but it's the same organization under centralized leadership. As part of the uh, ASI, we are the Africa region of the African Socialist International. And in the African region, we have regions within the Africa region. We have the East Africa region. We have comrades in right now membership in Kenya and Uganda. And uh, we have membership in Swaziland, uh, in Southern Africa, and also in South Africa. We have membership in West Africa, in uh, several countries there, in uh, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria. Chad, an assortment of other countries that we have membership there. And this is not, we're not just boasting about being everywhere in terms of our membership, but we're talking in terms of strategy, like the Congress report on a regular basis to say, this is the work that we are doing. How many members we have right now? You know, like what's the strategy to build uh, within these regions so that we can begin to grow the organization everywhere and build, you know, lay, we are laying the foundation for independent socialist Africa. The institutions that are under attack in the U.S. by the FBI, by the federal government uh, right now in the U.S., these are the institutions that are laying the foundation for the independent African state, whereby like the, the resources and the economy of Africa will be in the hands 
of African people. So even here, we're working on building institutions of economic development uh, that will serve as a negation of the current neo-colonial setup that we're living under. So we are everywhere, and uh, the, the, the organization, the party keeps growing with its mass organizations uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the African continent. And the total liberation of Africa and African people, because if you look at our party, our party is explicitly an organization of the African working class. The African working class are powerless right now. We are not the ones in government, in parliament, and all these things. We are the ones on the streets, in the gutter. We are the ones in the squalors and uh, in the townships, you know. We are the ones who are being exploited in the mines in Congo. And these, these African workers must uh, be consolidated into a political force in order to destroy neocolonialism, the African petty bourgeoisie, as well as the imperialists out of Africa, that we can have Africa in our own hands and establish our own independence states in the hands of our of the African working class. So we are in motion uh, for that. And, uh, you know, there's no future for, for imperialism, especially in an independent Africa. Africa is central. That is why you have the Zelenskys, uh, you have uh, uh, the Macron, uh, Anthony Blinken, and including Russia, they know that, and China as well, they know the centrality of Africa in terms of, uh, you know, the, the whole global um, economy. Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru, thank you so much, Chairman Tafir. It's why I really appreciate your analysis throughout this whole episode production. And I just also want to thank S.U. Lwazi. You have been listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Nani, 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 nani,
Mamelana, 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 Mamel